0: Chapel, Mason City. The Lord to you. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13 today. For the next couple of weeks, three including this week, we're going to look at the subject of spiritual warfare. So Paul has just finished the section regarding different relationships of the body of Christ, husbands, wives, children, parents, employers, employees. Now he, brings, he begins to bring the book to a close. And he makes this stirring appeal. He now takes us into the topic of spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. Father in heaven, we approach your word today, Lord, as it is the very words of God. And so we ask today, would you make the book live to us by your spirit, show us ourselves, show us our Savior. Lord, equip us for this life that you've called us to. And we do humbly ask in Jesus' name, amen. When I was a young child, my dad loved ninja movies. And, uh, you know, I don't know why he would watch those with kids, but he did. And uh, so I, I remember this one particular movie. It stood out to me where it was like uh, an off-duty ninja, I guess. I don't know. He's walking with this gal with his wife. And, and they're walking through this uh, beautiful Japanese garden And you can kind of picture it, and you can hear the fountains, and and, you know the koi fish are swimming, and you know the different uh, smells, and and so on, and and he's walking across the little bridge, and they're feeding the koi fish together, arm in arm, and they're playing around and stuff, and then all of a sudden, dart from out of nowhere, and it pierces the lady in the you know neck, and she dies, and and uh, you know he didn't realize that he was on a battlefield. He thought he was on the playground, but he was on a battleground. And I guess that's the the case with ninjas. You're never really off work. But it made me think of this passage because many Christians are like that today. They approach the Christian life and they think it's more of a playground rather than understanding that it's a battleground. Now, if you've followed the Lord for, uh, you know, really any amount of time, you've learned that you are in a battle, that a life of worship is more of a battleground than a playground. What is this battle? Who is this enemy? How do I overcome? These are the questions that we're going to answer within the next few weeks here. But Paul gets into this subject today by giving the Ephesians and us four calls, if you will. And here they are. The outline is very simple. Number one, The first call is to be strong in the Lord. The second is the call to put on the armor of God. Third, the call to understand spiritual warfare. And number four, the call to stand firm. Since God provides all the strength and resources we need to withstand the devil, We must trust in his divine empowerment, put on our spiritual armor, and always stand firm in confidence. In other words, since God has provided everything we need for spiritual warfare, we need to put that stuff on and stand firm. In confidence. Number one, here we go. The call to be strong in the Lord. Look at verse 10. Finally, my brethren. So when he starts out by saying finally, he means in light of all that this beautiful letter to the Ephesians says, who we are in Christ what he's done for us, how we're saved by grace through faith, not our own works, how we have a calling to fulfill that he's made good works uh, for us to walk in, all of the things, the relationships, the way we're supposed to be spirit-filled, and all of these things. And he thinks that it's fitting to come to the end of the letter and say, now that I've told you pretty much how to live the whole Christian life, who you are in Christ and how to live in Christ, he says, now I want to tell you, I want to address you as a soldier. Now, the Bible, we see that, uh, you know, we're referred to as many different things in the Bible. Uh, one that we think of easily is sheep. We're, we're often called sheep. Um, points out our dependence and our need for guidance. We're compared to athletes in the Bible uh, depicting the Christian life as a race that is to be won. Uh, and to be run with perseverance and diligence. We're compared to farmers in the Bible and sowers. Um, The parable of the sower portrays believers as those who sow the seeds of God's word and uh, go out and do evangelism. We're compared to farmers. We're also compared to soldiers. We see in Philippians that Epaphroditus, you remember him, he was referred to as our fellow soldier. In 2 Timothy Paul says to young Timothy, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. 2 Timothy 2, verse 4, the next verse, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Philemon, Archippus, is referred to as our fellow soldier. So he says, finally... My brethren, you are going to need to understand you're not on a playground, but rather, rather on a battleground. Uh, there's a battle to be fought that you are going to need to be engaged in as a Christian. That's what he's getting at. Now, Satan and his fallen angelic beings, demons, unclean spirits are committed to hindering and obstructing the work of Christ and to take the soldier out of combat. Now, the more serious, obedient, and effective a Christian is, the more the enemy attacks them and the more severe the attacks will be. Now, the devil doesn't seem to spend as many of his resources on lukewarm, empty professors, the people that just kind of claim the name Christ but really don't engage in, you know, they're really not following him. They're following him in word only, the devil doesn't seem to go as hard after them. We are no match for him in our own strength. That's something that the scripture makes abundantly clear. Our strength, our abilities, our resources, our intellect, all these things are no match for the devil. He's been around a lot longer doing what he does. Now, lesson one, For the Christian in spiritual warfare, we must stop relying on our own resources and be continually strengthened by the Lord. That's the first lesson. If you're a note taker, we have to stop relying on our own strength, our own resources, and be strengthened in the Lord. Now, That's what he goes on to say there. Look at it, he says, Finally then, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. When you look at the Greek language, it would read more literally like this. Be continually strengthened in the Lord. It doesn't say be strong. It says be strengthened. Now, a lot of Greek commentators, they take note of the difference between those two statements, right? Be strong and be strengthened. Be strong would be kind of like, you know, take everything that's in you now and just be strong. You just be tough. Where be strengthened, you know, I understand that there's a subtle difference between the two, but be strengthened, the implication is you need something outside of yourself to come into you to strengthen you. You know, be strong is, you know, pull up your bootstraps and buck up and all that stuff. But be strengthened is getting to the fact that you don't have what it takes and it has to come into you. You need to be strengthened by God. Now, Reminds me of this guy that he had his very spirited five-year-old, and he goes into his den one day, and this five-year-old's dragging a five-gallon pail of paint across the, you know, he wants to do a painting, and so he's got his big five-gallon bucket, and he's dragging it, and his dad comes in, and he says, "Uh, let me help you. We can carry this together in the sun. No, I can do it myself. I can do it myself. And that's sort of how we operate is we are prideful in the sense and we want to do things ourselves, and we want to do things in our own strength. And our Heavenly Father wants to strengthen us. He wants to do it with us. He wants to be in partnership with us. It's not that we do everything and God does nothing. It's not that God does everything and we do nothing. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to work in and through us to do the things He's called us to do. Now, I understand to some that this is... Have you ever heard of the term Christianese? Like, where people will say, ah, people use this Christian language, and I don't often understand what it is. And, and i you know, I don't know if, you know, I think this is a good opportunity to, to kind of talk about this for a second, because I think this falls into the category of Christian ease. People will say, don't do that in your own strength. And that's confusing to some people. They're like, what, what do you mean? I mean, like, should I just, like, fall down on the floor and let God, like, you know, okay, I'm just going to sit here, and then you're going to lift me up and do stuff. But this, this might be helpful. I'm just going to go through a few things uh, that kind of give an example of how people operate in their own strength. And maybe this will be instructive. Maybe not. But I think so. So overworking. This is is a way that people do things in their own strength. God has said in His Word that there's the importance of Sabbath, right? Like we're no longer under the old covenant where we keep the Sabbath in the same way Israel did. That was a rule given for Israel. And when Christ came, the new covenant came and the old was fulfilled. And we don't observe the Sabbath in that same way. But the principle is still there, you know, remember Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath? Man is still the same as he's ever been in his capacities. At least that's what the Creator would say. I mean, it, was there a time where man needed to rest, but now maybe we don't? I think in America, we don't think we need to rest. You know what I mean? It's like you got the internet's on all day and you got coffee and all that stuff. You know, who needs rest, right? So when somebody's overworking, that's a sign that they're, you know, kind of operating in their own strength. They're not obeying the principles of the Bible, you know, to, to come away and rest and worship and, and you know, and even take a day. And we're not legalistic about it. You don't got to take a whole day like they did in the Old Testament. But you don't want to throw out the principle of the Sabbath. It's a very good principle. If God thought that it was good for man and animals and everything and even the land to have a Sabbath, I mean, how much, how much do we need that? That's kind of an example of how people do things in their own strength. Another one, achieving goals. So there are people that are incredibly committed to establishing and achieving and completing and, and doing things, and they've got task lists, and they have projects, and they have all these things. But when they haven't sat and said, you know, I, I'm going to commit all these things to you, Lord. Maybe these haven't even come from you. You remember in the book of James where he says, hey, you that go, and you say we're going to go here, and we're going to go there, and we're going to make a profit, you know, the next day. He says, you, you, what you ought to say is if the Lord wills right? But there are people that are so dialed into their goals and their projects and, their, and, and all this other stuff, they haven't even stopped to take consideration if God is in any of these things. That's the way people operate in their own strength. Another one would be resolving conflicts, you know, like bribing and manipulating and doing different things to try to resolve conflicts. Sometimes people try to resolve conflicts that actually God has allowed, you know? I don't, I'm not going to break that down, but you can kind of think about that. The way we resolve conflicts can show that we are operating in our own wisdom and intelligence rather than seeking God's uh, wisdom and grace. Coping with difficulties, tragedies. There are people that, you know, the way they deal with hard things in life is maybe they turn to drugs or alcohol or illicit relationships or different things to try to cope with the stress and the tragedies in their life. That's a way that people lean on their own strength rather than going to the Lord, rather than seeking his guidance. Moral righteousness. A lot of people strive in their own strength to try to make themselves presentable to God through their works and their behaviors. They're leaning on their own church attendance record or their own Bible reading record or their own giving record or their own, you know, how good they are. They think that all of these things, all these sacraments that I keep or all these rituals that I've done, all of these things, God, see, these make me acceptable, right? No, they don't make you acceptable, you know. See, this is a way that people operate in their own strength. In other ways, just decision-making. People just make snap decisions without sitting and going to the Scripture and trying to find guidance. They say, I wish God would speak to me, but they haven't opened the Word so God could speak to him. By the way, that's how God speaks to us. He speaks to us through prayer, but his primary way that he speaks to us is through the Word of God. And so there are people that don't sit down and, and try to, like, figure that out. It's the way people operate in their own strength. Worry and anxiety, dealing with them in, you know, our own... You know, ways rather than seeking God. Remember, God says, um, pray about all things, all supplication, with all thankfulness. And he says, the peace of the Lord, with the passes understanding, will flood your heart and mind, right? Financial security. People are out pursuing these things, trying to make themselves secure, not even realizing that all things come from the Lord. We're to be stewards of his money. Spiritual growth. People trying to force themselves to grow by a list of legalistic dues and don'ts, rather than depending on the Holy Spirit to change them from the inside out, they're changing themselves from the outside in. I mean, there's a lot of different ways. I hope, hopefully if you had heard that term, doing it in your own strength, hopefully this has kind of given you some idea to what that means, because for the longest time I heard Christians saying that, and I really didn't know what they were talking about. So how do we apply this first lesson of spiritual warfare? Okay, so the lesson is we don't want to rely on our own strength. We want to be strengthened by the Lord. What's the first thing that we do? And, and we could talk at length about this subject, but I'm going to give us a principle that I believe this is where it all starts. Okay, it's admitting and recognizing our weakness before God. We have to recognize and admit our weakness. Now, this is not a popular truth in the church today. I heard a song the other day that they kept talking about over and over again. They said, there's a lion in you. It's like, is that true? I mean, it's boosting up self-confidence and saying, we're so strong and, and, and we're so tough. But the Bible says that, it says the opposite. The Bible says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And We don't often want to hear this, especially in America, Um, you know, because we have kind of become convinced that we don't really need anything in America. In fact, I think the Laodicean church in Revelation 3 uh, describes the state of the church in America, and maybe you would agree or disagree, but Jesus, he says this to them. He says, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not realize, you know, that you're, he goes on to use some tough words. He says, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And I'm not saying that about every Christian or anything like that, but Jesus says that there, that's a lukewarm church that he, he'll spit them out of their mouth, and they would become that way because they had forgotten that they were needy. I think we forget that we're needy. I was driving, you know, it's so neat the way that God puts things in your life and speaks to you. And I was driving the other day and I looked up uh, and I saw a bumper sticker on the vehicle before me and it said, Lions, not sheep. And I started to think about that. Lions, not sheep. And I'm going to resist going on a tangent, but definitely within the last, you know, few years, we've seen this, like, merge of politics and Christianity. We've seen this merge of, like, um, you know, if you didn't know better, you'd think that Christian and Republican go together. And, but what the Republican, some of these people are trying to get at is, like, we as Christians need to stop being pushed around because we're not sheep, you know, we're lions, you know, and we're tough and we need to take our place back. And it's like, well, maybe so. I don't know the complexities of this. But what I know is the Bible says that as a Christian, it says all who want to live a life of godliness will be persecuted. Jesus says, if my kingdom were of this world, my people would fight. I see a whole bunch more in the New Testament about the church church you know, dare I say it, accepting the lot of persecution. That's what Jesus says will happen to people. The two churches he commends in the book of Revelation are small. People that have endured, stuck to the word. They haven't changed the word. This idea that we're no longer going to turn our other cheek and take it? That's not a biblical idea. Jesus says when your enemy hits you on one side of the cheek, what does he say to do? What do you think that means practically? Do you think that means that we say, no, I'm tired of this. I'm not a sheep. I'm a lion. Well, you could think about it. I, I don't really have the answer to all this, but I do detect that it seems like there's this attitude coming in with Christians and, and there was, a, you know, I, oh gosh, okay. Some people are endorsing this and some people are painting this idea that Christians are, you know, are, we're not going to take it. Jesus says all who want to live a godly life will be persecuted. He says when your enemy hits you on one cheek, give him the other. The first thing in spiritual warfare that Paul gets here at is he says, you need to be strengthened in the Lord. You need to turn from self-confidence. You need to turn from human strength, human genius, human ingenuity. You need to turn from thinking that you have everything that it takes. You have to admit, I don't have what it takes. I need power from on high in my life. You say, really? Is this in scriptures? Yes. David and Goliath, there's an example. There are those today that have turned the story of David and Goliath into like this moralistic story about how tough David was and how you have to have courage like David and all this other stuff. Let me tell you, that is not the point of David and Goliath. The point of the story of David and Goliath is this it's a foolish situation, right? Think about this. The Philistine army with this crazy giant that is terrifying to everybody. And here comes this little guy (laughs) that's been tending sheep. It's supposed to be foolishness because the Bible says that God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. That's the point of that story. It's not that David was so crafty and he took his five different rocks, which are one is prayer and the other one is this and all this allegorizing of it. It's just a simple thing. It's that God can destroy the strongest things even through the weakest things. And in fact, that's often his method. That's the point of that. You say, are there more examples? Yes. Gideon, remember? 300 soldiers. Remember the whole process? He had all these soldiers. He said, that's, that's too many. And God whittles it down. He says, why? Because if you won with this whole army you know, you're going to take credit for it. So in fact, why don't we just whittle it down to 300? Are you sure 300? Yeah, I'm sure. Because that's the way I'm going to get the glory and man's not going to go around, you know, with his merit badge and saying, hey, you know, I'm a lion. I did it. Oh, really? Psalm 8 too. I love it. He says, Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. God uses the foolish, weak things. This is what the Bible says. Luke 22, verses 31 through 34, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, he's talking to Peter, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. There's the key. Jesus talking to him. That your faith should not fail. You know what's implied is that if Jesus didn't pray for him, what would happen? That's just the implication. Satan has said he's going to tear you up, Peter, but I'm going to pray for you so that your faith won't fail. Thank you, Jesus. He says, when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, (laughs) there's Peter. (laughs) But he said to him, Lord, I'm a lion. No, he said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. (laughs) Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. And Peter said, no, 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 I'm strong. I'm strong in the Lord. I'm strong. And then he denied. (laughs) I mean, if Jesus, you know. That's an example of overconfidence. A good dose of reality would have been helpful for Peter. John 15:1 through 5 I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, Jesus speaking, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. And then he gets to the end of that section. It's a familiar section. And he says these great words. For without me, you can do nothing sure i'm sure i can do something jesus 1 corinthians 127 but god has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise and god has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty 2 corinthians 127 through 10 lest i should be exalted above all measure by the abundance of the revelations a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of satan to buffet me paul says lest i be exalted above measure in other words unless i get prideful Concerning this thing, I asked the Lord three times that he might take it from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, and needs, and persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 7, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but acknowledge him. In all your ways, he shall direct your path. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. All of those things that we just talked about, they talk about recognizing your weakness, not being overconfident, humbling thyself in the sight of the Lord, recognizing that you have a need. In other words, not becoming like the Laodicean church. First lesson in spiritual warfare, be strengthened in the Lord and the power of his might rather than operating in your own strength. Number two, all the points are not that long, by the way. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This is Paul's second instruction in spiritual warfare. Here we see our need for divine armor. Now, we're going to talk about this armor more in depth next week. We're not going to get into the different uh, pieces of it. You're familiar with this passage. But uh, today... Um, What I really just want to put out is, you know, have us focus on is where he says, put on the whole armor of God. Put on, first of all, that tells you that this is something that you are to do. This is an imperative in the Greek. It means that Paul is giving a direction to the Ephesians and by extension to us. He's saying, this is something as a Christian you need to do. He says, put on the whole armor of God. I was reading a story the other day about this police officer, Justin Conley, routine day. It took a dangerous turn when an aggressive encounter uh, it led to an ambush. This guy pulled over a guy for drunk driving, uh, gave him a ticket, and uh, the guy hit outside of McDonald's in a bush and shot him in the back with a shotgun. <laughs> but he had a protective vest on, and uh, he, uh, he lived. Um, I was reading articles about, like, there's actually debate about whether to make bulletproof vests mandatory. And I got on this rabbit trail. It was kind of fascinating why people, some people don't want to wear their armor uh, for different reasons. Um, but this guy's glad he did. <laughs> and so the importance of putting your armor on. So what if I don't do, like, if there's an imperative in the Bible, you've you got to think through this. If Paul is saying, put on the armor of God, the whole armor, here's where my, my mind goes. What if I don't? Have you pondered that question? What if I don't put on the whole armor of God? It's a good thing to think about. He says the whole armor, now that has to do with every piece. You need every piece of it on. If you're missing in something, you're vulnerable. That's what he's getting at here. The whole is like the the driving force of what he's saying there. The whole armor of God. Uh, you might notice that it says of God. So this is nothing that you come up with. This is no muscle that you build. This is no skill that you develop. This is you putting on something that's given to you that we'll talk about at length next week. Verse four, or the, the fourth thing in this verse. Another question I always ask is, so what? When I'm reading the Bible, so what? Well, here's a good reason. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, That you may be able to stand against these strategies. That's the Greek word, wiles. It's stratagems would be a literal translation of it. Strategies. He's got different plans, different schemes for believers. He knows your weakest point and he aims right for it. If he cannot disable us by one method, he will try another. I want to read through some common strategies that the devil uses, and I have a feeling he doesn't want us to do this. (laughs) One thing that he uses frequently is doubt. He plants doubt about God's word, goodness, character, ability, and love. In the book of Genesis, the way he got the first sin to come into the world is he made Eve question God's goodness. Man, God say you can't eat that? What's wrong with it? He just, he doesn't want you to be like him. (laughs) Oh, I knew it. God isn't good. I knew it. I should take matters into my own hands. Doubt is one of the biggest things that he uses. Doubting his word, doubting his character. You ever gone through a season of doubt? Distraction. Shifting focus away from God's truth. We don't even need to talk about how distracted people are. The use of cellular phones, cell phones and smartphones, literally, depends on the study you read, but most of the studies are showing that cell phone usage is causing IQ dropping in people, all kinds of different stuff. Um, Read a statistic the other day that if you text while you're driving, 43% chance that you're gonna get into a car accident or cause one, if you're texting and driving. I mean, talk about a distracted culture. Pride, Satan encourages self-reliance and arrogance. Temptation, luring with desires that your flesh already has, just kind of telling you to go for it, go for it. You know the old cartoons with the devil and the angel? It's like kind of theologically incorrect, you know, but, but to some degree, it's, you know, the devil telling you, do it, do it. That's, that's essentially what he does. And he's good at it. Division, he creates conflict within marriages, within families, within churches discouragement sowing hopelessness and despair into your life fear instilling anxiety and fearfulness but the bible says you haven't been given a spirit of fear counterfeit versions of truth working through false teachers stuff like that he likes to sow in procrastination in people's lives desensitization, gradually numbing sensitivity to sin. You sin once, you're like, oh goodness, I don't want to do that. You sin twice, it's like, oh, that was a little bit easier. The third time, yeah, it's getting pretty easier. Pretty soon, calloused. Hypocrisy. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, coming into church saying, oh, yeah, we sold our house for like 100,000 bucks, you know, and, and we gave all the money to the church. Well, you didn't. No, you didn't. You, held, you could have done whatever you wanted with that money, but instead you came to church and pretended like you were just super godly. The sin of hypocrisy. The devil loves that. Deception and lies. The devil's character involves lies and deception to lead people astray. Temptation to sin talked about that. Infectious disease and physical trials, we see that in the book of Job. We see that Satan was able to cause physical problems in in Job's life. False doctrines and error, um, we talked about that a little bit. Intellectual blinding. Listen to this one. uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. um, You can read it later, but essentially he says, The devil, the, the God of this age, has blinded the minds of people so they can't believe the gospel. You know, when you're dealing with people in your life, you say, I, I wonder why they won't get saved. I wonder, you know, why they don't understand. It's because the Bible says that the, the God of this age has blinded their minds. I can attest to that. I know before I was following Christ, it's like you would have told me about Jesus and the Bible and all that stuff. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense to me. I have no idea what you people are talking about. Get saved, all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, this <laughs> looks completely different to me. Distraction, confusion, attacks against believers, undermining love and communion, addictions, bondage, uh, counteracting God's word, all of these things, and then some, are tactics of the enemy. Second lesson, we have a responsibility to put on the armor that God provides. And if you don't, you know, it says in there that you'll be able to withstand the wiles of the devil, his strategies, but here's the answer to that. Like, what if you don't? Well, you won't be able to withstand the strategies of the enemy, and some of you, after I read that list, you say, you know what, I wonder, if that's, I wonder if that's what's going on in my life because I feel pretty trapped in all of this stuff. Are you trying to do things in your own strength or are you relying on the strength of the Lord? Are you doing it his way or are you doing it your way? Number three, the call to understand spiritual warfare. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Where he says, we do not wrestle against. This is the idea of hand-to-hand combat. And he says, now you have to understand this. I'm going to tell you something that it's not, that spiritual warfare is not. Here's what spiritual warfare is not. It's not a battle between humans. Now, regardless of what, TV would tell you the battle is not with the left. It's not with Nancy Pelosi. It's not, you know what I mean? It's not with Elon Musk. It's not with Bill Gates. It's not, uh, it's not with, uh, you know, doctors pushing, you know, transition drugs on kids. and it, it, These people, there's a spirit behind this stuff, no doubt. But what Paul wants you to realize is your battle isn't on this horizontal plane between people and you. Right? There's something going on behind all of this. There's an evil spirit behind it. It's not flesh and blood. Now what he gets into saying principalities, powers, rulers of, this, uh, of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness. Now, depending on who you read, you can get into like some, you know, more, more on the, I wouldn't, I don't wanna just disrespect it, but like the super charismatic people can sit down and break down all of these different things and give you exactly what all of these are. I don't see that the Bible clearly talks in depth about these different things, but one thing is for sure is that Paul is saying that the demonic realm is organized. There apparently is rank. Um, There apparently is some sort of mission and some sort of like organization to the whole thing, but I think really what he's getting at here is he's saying the whole host, all of this stuff, He's saying the battle isn't between flesh and blood. It's between this whole thing that's going on in this unseen realm, right? I want to talk to you a little bit about who Satan is because I think that there's just some mystery about this in the body of Christ as well. Satan is a created being. He's a fallen angel. Today, people have adopted the whole like yin-yang. You ever seen a yin-yang symbol? That's a pagan occult sort of symbol, and it has to do with duality, uh, just different worldviews, that there is an equal and opposing darkness and light, right? And so people carry that idea onto Christianity, and they think that God and the devil are opposed to each other, equal opposing forces. That's not accurate. Satan is a created being. Let me read Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. He says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. So he was Lucifer. He was an angel. He was incredibly beautiful. He was intelligent, all these things. He was a high ranking angel. He says, How you are cut down to the ground, you who have weakened the nations. For, now listen to this is what God says that was going on in Satan's heart, in Lucifer's heart. He says, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into the heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now just an aside, remember what he said to Eve? Don't eat that tree because God doesn't want you to be like the most high. Here we have Lucifer saying I will be like the most high. No, there's no more of a time that you are being like Satan than when you were trying to be your own God. He says, yet you should be brought down to the grave, to the lowest pits, lowest depths of the pit. So who are these things in the past is that he's talking about? Principalities, powers, rulers, all these different things. Well, these are demons that Satan has control of. Jude 1, six says... He's talking about the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. He's talking about angels that left their position and, you know, commentators believe to follow the devil. Revelation chapter 12 verse 4, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. The idea is when Satan rebelled, a lot of angels went with him, and that's what you have uh, going on, as the scripture, as our passage says, in the heavenly places. What are the heavenly places? It's not talking about heaven where God is. It's talking about essentially the unseen realm that's all around us. You say, well, what do you mean unseen realm? Well, think about this: w- Wi-Fi, uh, radio frequencies, uh, there, you know, different spectrums of the light. There's all kinds of things going on right now that you can't see. Um, And it's similar to that. You know, there's an unseen realm where these things exist. So, believers face formidable spiritual opposition, necessitating the use of God's complete armor. The third lesson, you have to realize the battle's not between humans, it's between these other things. Now, the last point, the call to stand firm. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand so he says therefore he's wrapping it all up in light of the fact that you have this formidable foe the devil and his demons in this unseen realm in light of all of this take up the whole armor of God that's repeated twice within three verses you know that's a main point take up the armor put on the armor you say what is the armor well you're gonna have to come back next week (laughs) to figure that out that's a good cliffhanger right (laughs) it's a really good one this time oh my gosh that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. That's a key word in this whole section, withstand. Now, there are some people that would suggest that we need to go on the offensive to the devil. And again, you know, maybe our more charismatic, like hyper-charismatic brothers or you know, you're to go and use the armor of God and go rebuke Satan out of everything. And And okay, I mean... I don't see that in this passage. This passage, the the thrust is putting on everything God's provided so you can withstand. You see that over and over again. Stand, withstand in this passage. The way to understand this is Satan and these demons, he's a defeated foe. But this earth at this time, even though he was defeated at the cross, is still under the sway of the evil one. If you think about it, God's sovereign over everything and certainly he can do whatever he wants, but this earth has been forfeited to the enemy. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, Satan said, look, I'll take you up here and if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. Jesus didn't say, you can't give me all of this. It doesn't belong to you. He didn't argue with him. In the Garden of Eden... When Adam and Eve disobeyed, failed to take dominion, the enemy comes in, essentially takes what's comparable to the title deed of the earth. When you read the book of Revelation, there's weeping. Who's worthy to take the seal and open it? Essentially to take the title deed back of the earth. They look around. Jesus comes. He opens the seal. He takes back. But at this point, this world is under the sway of the evil one. And so you have this defeated foe that hates everything to do with Christ. He hates what Christ loves. And he's got a target aimed at you because you love Jesus. And he works in your life in these different ways. Fourth lesson realize God will empower you to withstand anything the devil throws at you if you will take up the armor. Let's conclude here by reviewing and we'll be done. Okay, lesson one. I want to be incredibly clear about this. Be strengthened in the Lord. It starts by admitting our own weakness and our need for Him. Acknowledge Him. Trust Him. You can only trust somebody you know. You can only know somebody that you learn about. You can only learn about God from his word. I mean, you can't, there, you can't make up a God that you're going to be able to trust with your whole heart. You can't. You, you have to be in the word to know God, to trust God. It seems like. At least with me. I need to know somebody before I can trust them. Continuously asked to be filled with his Holy Spirit. That needs to become part of our prayer life if it's not. He's provided this, willing. He willingly provides this resource. He says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. God, yeah, that's I need that. I confess my weakness to you, Lord. I've been running around like a chicken with my head cut off trying to make things happen rather than sitting at your feet and asking you to fill me. Rearrange my schedule, rearrange my life if need be. Lead and guide me. Live depending upon and obeying him. Lesson two, understand you need this divine armor. For today, you need to understand it comes from God. All of it's required, and your job is to put it on. If you don't, you're vulnerable. Lesson three, the battle's not between humans. There's an unseen spiritual realm. We see the effects of it on this world. Believe it. When you look around, seeing people trying to identify as different genders, mutilating their bodies, getting surgery, wicked, mad scientists helping them transition. You see people cutting themselves, shooting themselves, kids shooting other kids. I mean, you know what I mean? You see all these things happening. There's certainly the evidence of the evil, and I hate to end on a bad note, but uh, you know, I guess it's sobering. Lesson four, we can have complete confidence that nothing that the devil and his demons can do can take us out. He says, you put on this armor, you trust the Lord, you do things his way, and you will stand. He guarantees that it's a promise. You do this, you will stand. As we trust and obey Jesus, we will be able to stand firm. A Christian walking in the power of Christ, clothed in the armor of God, has nothing at all to worry about. No matter what comes against you, you have all you need in Christ to stand in defense of any attack. There are two errors that happen in, in the body of Christ, okay? There are people, when it comes to the devil, there are people that are, they just don't believe that he exists you know, Hollywood has turned him into this little guy with a tail that kind of runs around. C. S. Lewis talks about that in screw tape letters where he says, you know, what's a good strategy to get the you know, make the world think that you don't exist? Certainly has happened. You know, you have people that go down that path. Then you have the other era where people are completely consumed with the devil and they think that the devil is involved with everything. You know, you get a cold and they're like, here, let's anoint you with oil and rebuke the spirit of the cold out of you, and let's rebuke the spirit of You know, hip pain out of you, and let's—everything's a spirit, you know. And to them, and I think that's an error also too. I think that gives the devil too much credit. Um, The truth is in the middle that this stuff is clearly going on. It's clearly all through Scripture. But a Christian is kind of like somebody that's walking. You know, ever seen a Beetle Bailey? I don't know if you guys remember that cartoon. But this guy—he's like a soldier, but he's just kind of not. You know, he's—he's kind of happy-go-lucky and he's just walking through a minefield in this one, and he just keeps walking, and he's like, you know, and he d- just doesn't hit any of them, you know? <laughs> he just makes his way through, and he just doesn't hit any of them. <laughs> that, that's it's kind of a picture, you know, like if you're trusting in the Lord with your whole heart, not leaning on your own understanding, not self-confident, but dependent upon him, you really don't have anything to worry about. Bible says that if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you, that if you submit yourself to the Lord, James says, if you submit yourself to the Lord and resist the devil, he will flee from you. That's the key is submitting yourself to the Lord. You say, the enemy's been trashing my life. You say, well, are you submitted to the Lord? And that was your chance.